Today, uh, if, you're, if you're new to Story Church, let me just say this. We regularly uh, preach through books of the Bible. Uh, that's our regular pattern and diet here at Story Church. But over the next five weeks, this week included, we're stepping into a sermon series called God's Design for Leadership. And the reason why we're doing that is because today, after three years of calling and training and equipping, uh, we get to ordain and install three men as pastors at Story Church. And so what we want to do, yeah. So cool. I love it. Um, so what we want to do is step back for five weeks and just talk about who are elders, what do elders do, how are they going to serve this church, how are they going to care for you, what are they called to be and to do. And so I want to start today a little differently. Instead of us, uh, like, like we do, we regularly stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to kind of jump around this morning and everything's going to be on the screen. What I want to do today is, is just start with a little bit of a call and a response. Uh, and what we're doing in this, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is the true senior pastor of every church. And, and anyone who calls themselves a pastor of a local church is merely an under shepherd who reports to and who is in submission to and is full of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're going to put the lyrics on the screen here where it says leader, I'm going to read it. And when it says congregation, I want you all to collectively read it together. And you'll see most of this is pulled from Psalm chapter 23. All right, we got that? All right. There is but one good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The Lord Jesus, who so loves his bride that he gave himself up for her and still now washes her with the water of his grace as the head of the church, her chief shepherd, gives to her under shepherds, pastors to care for the sheep, even as they are sheep themselves. All right, praise God for that. So. Here's what I wanna do this morning. I just wanna set the table and from a high level hit who elders are and what elders do, and then we will call the guys up here in a little bit and we will install them. And, and so let, let me just start with this. I've said this a handful of times that uh, today is perhaps uh, the most monumental day in the history of Story Church, which sounds crazy because we, we had a launch service in 2019. I think the power just flickered there for a second. We're just going to keep going. Uh, we had our launch service. We had March 12, 2020, when we said, hey, we're not going to be together for two weeks, which turned into a long time. And then we had our first service back outdoors. And then we had our first service back indoors. We've had one-year anniversary, two-year anniversary, three-year anniversary. We've had baptisms. We've had more. But I believe that today is perhaps the most monumental day in the history of our church. Now, why is that? Why do I keep saying that? You see, God's desire for the church is not just that the church would exist, but God's desire for the church is that the church would exist in health. 
And so we go to the pages of the New Testament and we look at descriptions of what a healthy church looks like. So what is a healthy church? It is a church that gives and a church that serves and a church that sacrifices. It is a church that is growing in holiness. It is a church that reaches its community. But one of the primary things, if not the primary thing, that the New Testament places emphasis on for the health of the church is the fact that it's led by a a plurality of pastors. That we look at the pages of the New Testament and we see on repeat, especially in Timothy and Titus and 1 Peter, that God desires a group of called and qualified and competent and equipped men to lay their lives down for the sake of the health of his bride. God desires a healthy church, and one of the primary ways he attains a healthy church is through a group of men leading in holiness and in wisdom. And we see on the pages of the New Testament that God has a purpose for his church universal. The church universal is the church from all time and all places, those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. And his purpose for the church universal is Matthew 28, go into all nations and make disciples baptize them and teach them to obey. That is God's purpose for the church. But then we boil down to a local church. There are many expressions of the local church, even in our city alone. And God has a unique calling and a unique purpose for Story Church. That yes, we're gonna fulfill the great commission of Matthew chapter 28, but we must be a church who in utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God, lay before him and say, God, which way should we go? How will we steward your resources that you have entrusted to our care? How will we lead this church in wisdom? How will we lead this church in mission? How will we lead this church in doing what you'd like us to do? And the truth of the matter is, it takes a group of guys to do that. And so we are celebrating today that we are now as a church stepping into a new level of health where we will now have five pastors, myself, Stephen, Scott, Ken, and Nathan, who will lay our lives down for the sake of you, for the sake of God's mission, and for the sake of the stewardship of God's resources. Uh, My pastor in Texas, Matt Chandler, he'll often say that plurality, and when I'm saying plurality, I just mean a group of guys, he often says that plurality is both awful and awesome. It is awesome because we now get to depend upon each other. Wisdom is found in a group. It is awesome because we now get to share the burden. It is awesome because now you get to receive more care from more people, but it is awful because I am a horribly impatient person and I don't want to wait on on a group of people to make a decision. Let's just go, right? But wisdom is found in slowing down and wisdom is found in a group. And so we are celebrating that we as a church are stepping into a new level of health. So what I wanna do now is talk about who elders are, okay? How does the New Testament describe elders? And what what you'll notice as I I read 1 Timothy 3 is there's gonna be a great emphasis on the character of elders, not the competency of elders. We will talk about what elders do, but the primary place that you start is who elders are 
in their character, in their holiness, in their righteousness, in their dependence. Now, now why does the New Testament have such an emphasis on the character of elders? Here's what I believe. I believe that the singular thing that drives a wedge between God and man is sin. As we rebel from God, as we disobey his commands, as we wander from his goodness, what we are willingly doing is placing a wedge between us and God. Now, Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, he eliminated that wedge and he united us back to where we should be, which is in the presence of God, forgiven by him, reconciled to him, adopted into his family forever, freely, fully, forever forgiven through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But the reality is, even if we've repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus, yes, we are forever saved and forever in his grips and nothing can change that, but we still have residual sin in our lives. And what that residual sin does to us is it distances us from God. And when we are distant from God, we lack joy. When we are distant from God, we are not serious about spiritual disciplines. When we are distant from God, we don't hear his voice. When we are distant from God, we do not desire to eat of the word and, and, and grow in obedience to the word. Now, the the, the New Testament says that elders are to be men who make war with their sin so they can be attached to God at the hip so that they may hear his voice, so that they may grow in holiness, so that they may grow in humility and lead us as a church into the way we should go. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. And I'm going to fly through these qualifications here. Okay, there's 14 of them. Just hang with me. I promise you, we can do this together. First Timothy 3 says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Let me pause right there. Overseer is the same word in the original language as elder, pastor, bishop. Uh, they are used synonymously and interchangeably, uh, we believe, at Story Church. So when you see overseer here, pastor, elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, anyone, or for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the, of the devil. Now, 14 qualifications here. Over the last three years, we have spent dedicated time digging in to the lives and the hearts and the marriages and the homes and the finances of these men we're gonna present before you today. Uh, Nathan likes to joke that the elder application form was 100 pages. I don't think it was. It's probably 200, but guess what? <laughs> They're stepping into a sober and a solemn task, and we wanted to be sure that these are the men God is calling to lead us as a church. And so we spent a lot of time digging into these things. Let me look, let, let's look through these together. We'll just go ahead and keep the scripture on the screen. 
The first qualification is aspiration. They must want the role. He who desires to be a pastor desires a noble task. And you say to me, but doesn't everyone want power and authority, Travis? Doesn't everyone desire to be, quote unquote, in charge? Well, the truth is the calling to the role in the office of elder is not a calling to glamorous power, but a calling to die for the sake of the sheep. Jesus, as the true chief shepherd, laid his life down for the sake of the sheep. And so what we are calling these men into is not a calling that is glamorous, but rather a calling that will go hand in hand with spiritual warfare and suffering and rejection. Why? Because the enemy hates this church. The enemy hates the gospel going forward. And the enemy hates the impact that these guys are gonna have for the kingdom. So they're not desiring some glamorous role. He, they are desiring a noble task, which is to lay their lives down for your sake and your holiness and your growth. They must be above reproach. Now, this is not sinlessness. Do not put that yoke of burden on these men. This idea of above reproach is an umbrella term that they have no scent of scandal about them. That if and when an accusation is lobbed their way, it will not stick because they will prove to be men who are holy and growing in holiness. To be above reproach means you are someone who models a regular and a growing maturity and a regular and growing repentance of sin. To be above reproach. To be above reproach means that you, church, should not be surprised when we present these men. If there were an audible gasp in this room when we said their name, we would be concerned. One of the good things, though, as we sent out the form for affirmations and questions, every single person, almost to a T, said, praise God we expected this. Praise God we expected this. Which tells me these guys are above reproach. The husband of one wife. This could be translated as a one-woman man. So is this saying that a single person can't be a pastor? No. No, Paul was single, Jesus was single. We don't know how many of the apostles were single. Singleness is not a disqualification. Does it mean someone that's been divorced cannot be a pastor? We, we, we think someone who's divorced can be a pastor. You take it on a case-by-case -case basis depending upon the situation. There is room for divorce and remarriage in the scriptures. What this is talking about is someone who is a one-woman man, that he only has eyes for his wife or his future wife, that he is someone who is not marked by fantasies or lustfulness or flirtation with other women, but rather these men treat you sisters as sisters. Someone who is not addicted to pornography and masturbation. The elder, in other words, sets a high example for marital relationships is what this means. They are sober-minded. This means that they can think well. They are not all over the place in their thoughts and ideas. They do not get carried away with doctrinal fads or false uh, doctrine or secondary issues. This means that they assess situations well and in a calm manner, and they know how to see themselves rightly. For someone to be uh, sober-minded means it's a lot unlike the first three episodes of American Idol. 
The first three episodes of American Idol is always someone who gets up there and man, they think they've got the pipes, right? They think they can do it. And then you're all just kind of laughing and you're waiting on Simon Cowell just to eviscerate them. And you kind of get some joy in that. You shouldn't, but you do. And it's bad. Why, why are we happy about that? Because they think they can sing, but they can't. To be sober-minded means these men can assess themselves correctly as well. They know where they're gifted. They know where they're strong. They know where they're weak. They know where they need to grow. So they are sober-minded. They are self-controlled. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter five that self-controlled is a fruit of the spirit. To be self-controlled means that these men are not mastered by anything other than Jesus. Their hobbies their finances, their desires, their appetites, their preferences do not master them. Nothing is Lord over them but Jesus Christ. They are self-controlled. They are respectable, which goes hand in hand with well thought of by outsiders. It means these men carry themselves in all spheres of life with respect and with dignity. It means that people inside and outside of the church respect them and seek out their counsel and wisdom in life. They are hospitable. This means that these men are genuinely interested in sharing life with people. It means that they have a genuine interest in what's going on in your life. They're not just ready to talk all about themselves. They're ready to seek out who you are, where you're growing. They're hospitable. It means they open their homes and sacrifice their material wealth for the good of others, both inside and outside of the church. And it means that when you spend time with them, you want more of it. They are hospitable. They are able to teach. They know how to rightly handle the word of God. They know the word, they can read the word, they can observe the word, they can interpret the word, they can apply the word, and they can teach the word to us. This happens in a variety of venues. The sermon, counseling, one-on-one discipleship, home group, in prayer, it's not just reserved for the pulpit. It applies to the pulpit, but it applies everywhere in life. They are able to teach. They show us and they model for us a regular and a growing appetite for the word of God in our lives. They are not a drunkard. This may seem obvious, but you got to remember the cultural context in which this was being written. In, in, in the ancient world, drunkenness, especially in Roman culture, was not something that was frowned upon, but rather it was something that was exalted as a good part of life. To not be a drunkard means that you resist cultural influence and you live in the way that Jesus calls you to live and there is no kind of substance in your life that is lowering your inhibitions, right? And this is alcohol certainly, but it is more than alcohol. It's drugs, it's caffeine, right? Dirty little secret, sugar, right? It means you're putting something into your body without inhibition in such a way that it lowers your desire for the spirit and for the word and you grow in a, in a love for those things. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. These go together. Uh, this means they are not always seeking out a fight. They know which hills to die on. Now, this doesn't mean they're conflict averse. Elders are regularly finding themselves in the middle of conflict and resolving conflict. They will go to war when they need to, but they have the ability to discern what things do we need to go to war about. It is not, they are not a lover of money, not greedy. 
They are not controlled by their bank statements, their stock market statements, how much they give, when they give, but rather they are people who are free from the love of money and they see money as something God has given to them to give away in growing ways, in more sacrifice, more joy, more obedience, more generosity for the sake of the kingdom. They are not obsessed with material possessions. They manage their own household well. The home is a proving ground for the call to eldership. The type of man who makes a good elder is the type of man whose wives and kids, if they have them, are flourishing under their care. That they lead their wives in the way of Jesus, that they lead their children in the way of Jesus, that they regularly and willingly lay their lives down, their preferences down, their desires down for the sake of their families. And if they're unwilling to do that, they are unqualified to fill this role. Finally, must not be a new believer, must not be a new convert. An elder must have a visceral awareness that they are weak and needy and full of sin. And they must have a visceral awareness that as needy and weak and full of sin they are, they have a savior who is full of grace, ready to help them, ready to lead them, ready to guide them, ready to dispense more mercy and grace upon them. A new believer falls into a trap of pridefulness in the role of elder. I got this, right? I got this under control. An elder, once you've walked with Jesus for like more than 10 seconds, you realize, man, I don't belong here, but my Savior's good to me. And as you grow in maturity, you grow in your awareness of your need of Jesus, and you grow in your awareness that this church needs more of Jesus. Now, one thing I want you to notice, and in all 14 of those qualifications, only one of those was a skill, able to teach Everything in that passage emphasizes character over competence. Why? As these men grow in these things, they are gonna grow closer and closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that they are leading our church closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. Our holiness follows after their holiness. Our growth follows after their growth. Our maturity follows after their maturity. That's why the New Testament is so serious about a plurality of elders leading this church in health. As these guys get healthy, we get healthy. If the elders go, so go the church. If the elders sin, so sin the church. But if the elders grow in holiness, we will too. If the elders grow in their love of the gospel, we will too. If these elders grow in humility, we will too. So that's why there's an emphasis on character over competency. Now, you might be sitting there saying, this doesn't apply to me. Why am I listening to this? I hope as you read through that list, you see things that convict you and you want to just say, man, I, I need to grow in that. Even, even this last week as I was reading this and studying this and dissecting this, I'm like, man, am I disqualified? No. But listen, like I need to grow and I have a savior who's ready to give me grace and say, you can grow in this way. I'm gonna do this with you. I'm gonna carry you along. So so as you read through that list, I hope there's things that you're like, I wanna do that. This is not just reserved for elders. This is regular Christian maturity that we can all grow into, right? Not violent, but gentle. We can all do that. Self-controlled, we should all be striving for that. Not a lover of money. We should be free from that and generously giving. So this applies to everyone, 
but it applies to our elders in a particular way that they will lead us in growing in these ways. So that's who elders are. Those are the qualifications. What do elders do? All right, so what do they do? I'm gonna put a series of scriptures on this, the screen from 1 Peter 5 and 2 Timothy 4 and Acts 20, and we're gonna read those, and then I'll spend just a little bit of time talking about it. First, 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders, the pastors among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is gonna be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 2 Timothy 4 says this, I charge you, pastors, elders, in the presence of God and of, Je of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Finally, Acts chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you pastors to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I'm not gonna, I don't have enough time to really dive into all of this, but as we've looked at this, we, we've kind of, and this isn't new to us, we've put these, these what elders do, these competencies into four major buckets. Here's what your pastors will do. They will know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. Let me walk through those very quickly. Number one, elders know the flock. Now, if you were in first century Rome and a shepherd came up to you and introduced himself and said, hey, I'm a shepherd, and you looked at them and they were sparkling clean and they didn't smell and they had no dirt under their fingernails, you'd be a little bit curious. Like, are you sure you're a shepherd? Shepherds were dirty, they smelled, they did hard work, and they worked with filthy and dumb animals. Now, these men are shepherds, which means they are among the sheep. If a pastor doesn't smell like sheep, they're not a good shepherd. They are in your lives. They know you. They know your needs. They know your sin. They know your struggle. And they know, most importantly, that you need Jesus. And so what they are going to do is meet with you and love you and care for you and counsel you and coach you and guide you and give you Jesus. They know the flock. They lead the flock. Now, we must be careful of importing business idioms and, and ideologies into the life of the church. When you hear leadership, don't hear CEO and, and, and all these good systems and structures. Those are good things. We wanna learn from those things. But we are bound to the New Testament, which tells us how we must lead the church. And so these men are regularly going to pray and fast and consider and go to the word and say, God, where should Story Church go? What's the direction for our church? And they're going to lead us in two primary ways, in breadth and in depth. 
We are gonna grow in our breadth that we're gonna go into the community and hopefully to the ends of the earth and reach more people and we're gonna grow in depth that as we reach more people, we are going to mature to look like Jesus. That's how they lead us. They feed the flock. This means elders preach, teach, counsel, guide, and pray from the word, right? Be careful if a pastor ever gets up here and says, here's my opinion, Here's this fun new thing I learned. Here's what this other person, here's what this thing, this worldview that's going. They must preach from the word. They must counsel from the word. They must pray from the word. They must guide from the word. They feed the flock and we are nourished by it. And finally, they protect the flock. This means they guard sound doctrine in the life of our church. They ward off wolves and false teachers. This means they keep us going down the road of sound doctrine and regular Bible preaching. But here's what this also means. We know you, which means we know your sin struggles. And as we see you veering into those things, here's what a good shepherd does. Hey, get back in line. A good shepherd has a staff for a reason, not to wield it domineeringly, as 1 Peter 5 says, but to gently guide the sheep back into the way of holiness. So when we see you veering off into sin, it is our job to protect you from you. It is our job to protect you from the temptations of the enemy and from the temptations of the flesh. And so as they see you veering, they're gonna say, hey, come on, come back to Jesus. This is is good for you. This is good for you. They know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. Now, here's a fun thing we're gonna do. Over the next four weeks, each of your four other pastors, Ken, Scott, Nathan, and Stephen, are gonna preach one of these topics. So we're gonna do a five-week series with five different preachers, which is awesome, because they're gonna show you they're able to teach, and they're gonna preach the word for us. Now, be here, okay? Don't take this as an opportunity to be like, I don't wanna listen to these guys. They're awesome, They are awesome and godly and humble and I am ready to receive the word from them and and, and you better be too. I will be deeply concerned if you're not here. Know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. Now, with that said, again, we're gonna dive deeper over the next few weeks. We're gonna come to the part where we get to install these guys. So I'm gonna invite Nathan and Scott and Ken up here with their wives and and we're gonna have a little bit of fun this morning. small stage. Let's do alphabetical order. We already did it. Last name. Last name, says the teacher. Okay, so let me just kind of outline where we're going to go from here. Uh, We are going to do a little bit of vows, okay? They're going to solemnly pledge some things before you this morning. Uh, And then we're going to step into uh, the actual prayer of installation. And then we're going to present them with some gifts and some other things. So here's how we're going to start. We're going to start with the vows. And and just in case you're wondering if you're new here, this is Ken and Amy Anderson. That is Nathan. Yeah, come on. I might say hold your applause to the end because this will sound a lot like a popularity contest. And I... I don't want that. These guys are off. That's Nathan and Brisha Carrier. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and then Scott and Kelly Sorensen. 
Oh, man. The, Sor the Sorensen fist bump. Give it to him. Every picture of Scott's like this. Yep. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, and yes, I love that this is full of joy, but this is also a solemn occasion as they are stepping into a sobering and a serious calling and you two are as well. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read some vows to them. And if you guys agree to these vows before God and these witnesses, you will say, we do. First uh, Timothy three, chapter one says that if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a noble task he desires to do. But one must consider soberly and seriously whether he will undertake the responsibility of pastor uh, in a manner that pleases Christ that is faithful to God's word and that truly seeks the, the edification, the growth of those under his charge. In light of this, I'm gonna remind you some of some important aspects of the calling of pastor for your response and for your pledge. So let's begin. Titus 1, 7 and 8 states that a pastor must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, Loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. Men, do you pledge to conduct yourselves in a worthy manner? Titus 1.9 exhorts elders to hold fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with, with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine and to refute, refute those who contradict. Do you uh, uh, guys pledge to preach and teach in such a manner? 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3 says that elders are to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Do you pledge to shepherd your flock in such a manner? You, by God's grace. Yeah. In Acts 20, 28, Paul exhorts the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you pastors. And in 1 Timothy 4, 16, Paul instructs Timothy to pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Do you pledge to watch with equal care and zeal both your own life of holiness and faithfulness to God's word and the growth of holiness and faithfulness to God's word in this church? 1 Timothy 3.4 requires that an elder must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Do you pledge to teach and to lead your wives lovingly and sacrificially as examples to the rest of the body? Do you pledge to raise your children to be obedient both to you and to Christ, instructing and disciplining them in the things of the Lord? A few more here. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.2 says that because the time will come when many will not endure sound doctrine, one called to preach God's word must be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Do you pledge to be persistent, patient, and faithful to God and his word in your regular ministry of preaching and teaching to this people? Do you pledge to teach in accordance with and not contradictory to Story Church's statement of faith and to lead out towards Story Church's mission and vision? We do. do you pledge to seek the purity, peace, unity, and edification of this body? We do. do you pledge to labor as a missionary of the gospel of God in our city and, to, and with view of the nations? Okay, that's your vows. Now, brothers and sisters of Story Church, as members especially of Story Church, if you call this church home, we now, as a body, are gonna make a commitment to gladly submit to these men 
their pastoral leadership and their spiritual leadership. And let me remind you uh, that what these guys are called to in Hebrews chapter 13 is a serious calling where one day they will stand before the throne of grace and give an account for how they have led this church. And which is why Hebrews 13 tells us as members of the church to make it a joy for them to lead. So, Story Church, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Church, do you pledge to respectfully follow and submit to these men in such a manner that brings them rejoicing and your joy? If so, say, we do. Praise God. Now, Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have the men, and and church, the reason why we have the wives up here as well is because this is not a calling just on the guys. This is a calling on an entire family where they're putting their families on the line. They're sacrificing some stuff with their family to say yes to some things for the church in a manner that that they remember their home is their first ministry. But when they're called into this, their wives are simultaneously called into this as a one flesh union where they will face suffering and warfare as well. And so I wanna remind you, pray for them. Pray for grace, pray for strength, pray for their ministry, pray for their homes, pray for their marriages, pray for their kids, pray for their mission, pray for everything God has called them to. That is your responsibility, to pray for your pastors. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna have these men uh, come right here in the front and get down on your knees. Um, We are doing their knees as a symbolism that they are in submission to God. He is the chief shepherd, they are under shepherds. And then they are opening their hands before the throne. So go ahead and do that, guys. Um, As a way of saying, I am needy and God gives me grace. So we're gonna lay hands on them. Ladies, get behind your husbands and lay hands on them. And you, church, if you would extend a hand uh, of prayer for them. And I I just wrote a prayer of installation I wanna read over these men. Gracious Father, thank you for the gift of Ken and of Scott and of Nathan, who your Holy Spirit has adopted into your family and your Holy Spirit has made into overseers, pastors, elders, to care for your church, the church that Jesus obtained with his own blood. God, I pray that you would grant them strength and wisdom to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and that they would build up the body of Christ, that they would lead us, Father, into attaining the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, but we would be people who love your word, who grow in your word, are obedient to your word, and follow after your word. God, I pray that you would grant them humility and affection for us as a church, and that they would pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock, so that the body might grow being built up in love. God, I pray you would protect them, their marriages, their children, and their ministries from the attacks of Satan, that they would flee temptation and hold fast to what is good. I pray, God, you would help them fulfill their work of evangelism, that they would be on mission in their workplaces and neighborhoods, sharing the goodness of the gospel with all who would hear. And I pray, God, they would lead us as a church to grow in breadth and in depth And in multiplication, God, would you strengthen them, equip them, give them grace, and fill them with your spirit for this task. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand up, guys.
Now, the final thing we're going to do this morning is ordain these guys. And so we've got a church on behalf, I'm going to move, we move this table up, Nathan. On behalf of you, church, you don't know this, we have a couple of gifts for these guys. Um, as you gave, we stewarded it for the sake of these guys. So let me um, show what these gifts are. Put that on the table, please. We have uh, a very nice Bible right here. Um, and this is symbolizing that they are bound to the word. They lead from the word. They preach the word. They teach the word. And they guide us in the word. And then we have a super sweet uh, certificate of ordination here uh, that symbolizes that today is the day that they have been finally installed to be pastors of this church. And so everything that they pledged before you today, we wrote down in a piece of paper and they are gonna sign this covenant, there's a pen right behind you, before you, church, and most importantly, before God to signify that they're stepping into this task. So Ken, we'll go ahead and start with you. Ken, if you agree to everything today, sign and date that as a covenant before these men and women. Here's this, Amy. Ken, I'm gonna lay hands on you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church, on behalf of the pastors of Story Church, I ordain and install you, Ken Anderson, as a pastor and elder. Church, will you welcome Ken as one of your new pastors? Nathan. Nathan, if you agree to those pledges this morning, go ahead and sign and date that before God and before these witnesses. Gotta be perfect. Once an engineer, always an engineer. <laughs> In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of the church, on behalf of the pastors of Story Church, I install and ordain you Nathan Shikarian as an elder of Story Church. Church, will you welcome Nathan as one of your pastors? Scott, if you agree, <laughs> once not an engineer, never an engineer. <laughs> he made it on time today, though, guys. We're proud. <laughs> Scott, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of this church, on behalf of the pastors of Story Church, I install and ordain you as an elder of Story Church. Church, will you welcome Scott as one of your new pastors? Praise God, praise God. As I said, as a church now, we have the responsibility to pray for these guys, to encourage these guys, to make their ministry a joy, to make their ministry exciting, and to gladly submit to them. So uh, in the name of that, today after church, don't just take off. I would love for you to seek out one or all of these guys just quietly pray for them a quick prayer and encourage them for the task they're stepping into, okay? All right, one more time as these guys step off stage. Good. Go ahead, guys. Yep. Got that paperwork. All right. Praise God for that. God's doing good stuff here at Story Church, and I love that we get to be a part of it, church. Um, now, our, our first act 
uh, as we do each and every week. Now that we uh, have five pastors here and we're a church family being led by a group of five, our first act together is just to submit to the Lord in communion. Remember that this is his church He laid his life down for the bride. We submit ultimately to him because he will always lead us in the way we should go. And so uh, if you don't have communion supplies, go ahead and lift your hand and we will get some delivered to you. But I just want church right here up front, Robbie, Scott, someone. I just want us to take 30 or 60 seconds right now And the scriptures say, before you take communion, to examine yourself. As we consider 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3, there's a list of qualifications that should humble us and convict us. I want you to just spend 30 or 60 seconds reflecting on that, asking the Lord to grow you. And then in just a second, we're going to receive the grace of communion that God has given us. So church, take some time to reflect. God, we confess we are all deeply needy people, that all of us fall short of your glory and your grace, that we have sinned, we have rebelled, we have wandered, we have veered, and we have hated you and your decrees. And yet we celebrate that you are a God who reaches out to sinners, draws them to yourself, embraces them, makes them new, saves them, cleanses them, gives them righteousness and holiness, not of our own, but of Jesus Christ, that he died the death we deserved and he was raised to new life and freely gives us victory over sin, death, and the grave. God, we confess that even today, we are reminded of how much we still fall short. That none of us are qualified to even be in your kingdom, much less qualified to lead your church. And yet we celebrate it is not a qualification of our own, but it is the qualification of Jesus Christ in our place that he is the one who has the resume over our lives. It is his righteousness that clothes us. It is his holiness that makes us new. And so we lean again into the fresh mercy and fresh grace of Jesus that does make us new, that does make us righteous, that does make us holy. And we receive through communion a remembrance and a reminder that we are fully, freely, forever forgiven. And there is nothing we can do to lose our salvation because you are on the throne, you are good, you are glorious, you are strong, and you will complete that which you've started. So we pray, God, of these areas where we feel weak, that you would strengthen us and grow us. We pray for those areas where we're holding on to sin, that we would repent of those things and trust all the more in Jesus. And we pray that as we eat of the bread and drink of the wine, that we would be again reminded that you are gracious. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.